Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-hosts, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, everyone. Fourth year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Saloni Singh. Hi, Saloni. Hi, Aaron. And third year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Aaron. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speakers. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on this episode of Let's Get Psyched, uh, we have we have the Olympics on the brain. I have the Olympics on the brain. I love the Olympics. And so one of the things we really wanted to talk about is uh, the different ways that uh, it's apparently that female athletes are treated compared to male athletes and perhaps the different stressors, maybe any kind of research that we've found uh, associated with that. And we're very pleased to have join us for this discussion, Dr. Gino Mortallero. Hi, Dr. Mortallero. Hello, everyone. Dr. Mortallero is a Harvard-trained child, child and adolescent psychiatrist who specializes in gender health. He's a retired elite athlete. While on the USA Gymnastics national team, he won numerous medals on both the national and international stage. Well, okay, so I'll just kind of throw it out to you, uh, Gino, is do you feel when female athletes were treated differently or had a different set of stressors than male athletes. Is there something that can be said about that? Did you perceive that in your experience? So I will say of the sports that exist out there, particularly, you know, on the limelight, gymnastics is maybe a little bit less of some of the issues but more of others versus, you know, I, I guess it's probably because I have direct experience with that one. So, you know, things like athletic pay gap by gender, right? The female athletes actually tend to get paid more than male athletes in gymnastics. So that was one that was maybe a little like exception to the rules. Uh, so general disclaimer, but, you know, looking outside of gymnastics, when you look at the women's U.S. soccer team versus the men's U.S. soccer team. The women's U.S. team has had an incredible performance, multiple world, oh gosh, what is it, World Cup? Do they have the World Cup? That's soccer, right? Championship. What <laughs> 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 are these things? Football. Um, they have, they're incredibly well decorated and they get paid a fraction of what the U.S. men's team does, which they are high level athletes, but they do not have the same success record and, and medal and championship decoration, but get paid way, way more. Um, so, I mean, you can look at, at that and, and see that some of these other sports are definitely very different. <laughs> can I ask you a quick question? Like uh, how, how would a gymnast get paid? With money. <laughs> Is it a pack or cash? Or <laughs> they only pay in Bitcoin and Dogecoin. Exactly. Cryptocurrency. I, well, I mean, I mean, is it? Yeah, go ahead. So there's, there's actually Olympic gymnasts and, and pre-Olympic gymnasts who like live and breathe at the Olympic training centers, right? So I mean, their, their housing is paid for, their medical is paid for, their food's paid okay. for. So the country utilities, right? Okay. Yeah. So the, so, well, the Olympic Federation, um, but so they, they have payments through that. Uh, there's also like stipends you get for like, you can get an educational stipend, right? So you get scholarships for college, things like that. 
You can also get paid for maintaining on the national team, right? So there's like monthly payments uh, and then payments like for medals at international competitions and stuff like that. So there's like sliding scales of how much it's quote unquote worth. How much did you make for a medal? Like what would be like a tip? Oh God, if I know I was, I started getting medals in the international scene when I was like 10. And so my parents were wise enough to hide all of that from me. So oh, okay. later you in still life, don't know. <laughs> I know, right? So I don't know. Your parents mysteriously life, kept that you dark. Okay. Buy a house. <laughs> Money happened. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Say that again. They bought a house. So whatever my bank account was when I was moving to Boston for my residency, I I used that to buy my first house, and it oh, was wow. some combination nice. of like you know I awesome. gifts, right? So. But yeah, whatever I made, it went in there. I didn't even know I was getting paid till I was like 17. And then my mother told wow. me, like, wow. wow. <laughs> but, but that probably took some of the pressure off, to, like, right? Wheaties. Exactly. It was good for me. But if I had like a Wheaties endorsement or something, shh, I'd know. <laughs> I wouldn't need a job. Right, never too different... late to snag that Wheaties endorsement. <laughs> Is that right? even still a cereal? <laughs> I think so. That's what I was going to ask yeah, about I, is endorsements. Like that's a whole different thing, right? Like you do you see oh, yeah. that male athletes get a lot more endorsements. I certainly, again, gymnastics being my little exception, uh, gymnastics, females bring in the money far more than males do. And, and they're like the golden children. However, again, I mean, look at the NBA. You don't see women NBA players endorsing anything unless it's like a specialty women's thing, right? And men are on the cover of the video games and on the cover of, you know, Wheaties, which is totally gender neutral, you know. Vitamin water. Are they, Jordans, right? Exactly. right? I mean, Jordans, the shoes are yes, named after a man. Exactly. They're <laughs> so. playing the same game, <laughs> right? And again, same thing with soccer. I mean, again, not to harp on soccer, um, but I happen to think the, the captain, Megan... Oh, I can't Rapido? remember her last name is. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, I think she's kind of super cool and I want to be her friend. So Megan, if you ever hear this, let's be friends. <laughs> but, you know, she's such an incredible athlete, incredible at soccer and honestly pushing a lot of like gender equality. And so she's outspoken and strong, but it's still a male soccer player on the cover of the video games, on the cover of so uh, like soccer shoes and all these different things. Which is right? crazy when you think about how good U.S. women's soccer is on, exactly. the, on the global scale. <laughs> right? I know. So it makes no logical sense. <laughs> I'm going to move into uh, trying to uh, look at some of the more, a little bit more, more controversial, uh, difficult uh, questions here and issues. Okay. So uh, the, the, the German team i believe the german uh, women gymnastics team uh decided to uh de-emphasize the uh, uh the focus on uh, uh female bodies by having a unitard and so let's let's talk about that a bit what are your thoughts about how you know we as society put a great amount of attention on female shape and form and weight and things like that what did you perceive and what are your just your thoughts about the issue of uh, female bodies and the focus on them and the attention placed on them? Yeah, I mean, so first, I am 100% here for the German gymnastics team wearing the full body unitards. Like there is 
there is not a tremendously great reason to not allow it, right? I am, if someone wants to wear the traditional leotard, cool, I'm here for that too, right? But, you know, there's not a great reason. Some of the things that do come up are questions about like grip strength on a leotard material, you know, if, because a lot of times they have to grab right below their knees, which then allows short like attachments to the leotards, right? Because that's not coming below my knees, right? So I, I do think that there's a lot of back and forth to any of that counter criticism. But if you're on an event like theme where you're not really necessarily grabbing your knees tightly, that's, that's not a hindrance as far as I'm concerned. So I'm here for it. A statement needs to be made regardless. So I'm here for it. Obviously, I want everyone to be safe when they make their statement, but I think there's a lot of ways around that. And then to speak more broadly, one thing that always I, I appreciated, it, not as in I appreciated as in I valued it, but I recognized was my female peers, like my female athletic peers who were stronger than me. I mean, I was small and wiry, right? That was my jam. I didn't want to really be like the big bulky one. But a lot of my female peers had so much more strength than me and really an incredibly athletic physique, but it created a lot more discomfort in their own body because we live in a culture that really values, you know, thinness and almost waifishness to our, our females. And this incredibly athletic, well-toned, muscular individual is now self-conscious of that, which was crazy to me. Like if I was a male and I had that physique, I'd, you know, never have my shirt on. So <laughs> that was always something that I could see the females having to deal with that just wasn't a pressure on my plate. It didn't matter as long as I could get the job. So, so the German, okay. So, so the German team was kind of resisting what you just mentioned, right? And they decided to wear full body leotards instead of, I guess the one that kind of like ends in, in a bikini. Yeah. A V cut. Tell us how this went down and what were the reactions and did the Olympic committee learn from it? Well, given that it just happened, I don't have any of the insider info on whether they chose to learn a lesson or not. Right. Uh, did it draw lots of attention and discussion? Absolutely. What the fruition of that will be. We'll find out, you know, it, it, the mic got dropped yesterday, two days ago, pretty recently. Uh, so I, I don't know if that dustpan is settled enough to know if it's going to have uh, lasting changes. I think the movement by, I think it was the women's volleyball team, gosh, I can't remember which country, but chose Norwegian to wear shorts. Team, yeah. What was it? Norwegian? Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, the yeah, Norwegian. Was it Norwegian handball? Oh, handball. I thought, yeah. No, I think it's volleyball. Oh, was it volleyball? The beach volleyball? Okay. I, actually I didn't even know there was Olympic like, handball. Volleyball. There's also the soul caps. There's there's also the um, soul caps debate, which seems so. Uh, I guess the word would be ridiculous that the the, the Olympic Committee hasn't allowed them. Not. There there's there's a company that came out with these caps that are particularly for women of color with more voluminous hair, and if anything, if you look at the caps, they're probably 
a speed handicap. They're in no way cheating, but the they were, I guess, banned. Um, and now I think they're going to have to reconsider. I think they said they made a statement that they're going to reconsider. I'm not the expert on this topic, but what, I don't know. What are, what are our thoughts on that? I mean, separating from gender, if you start to look at the treatment of people of color in sports too, that is one that is highly complicated as well. I mean, even down to, there's, there's actually a lot of great sociological studies looking at the NFL and differences in pay between offensive and defensive, differences in racial composition of offensive and defensive lines, and how many of the team's quarterbacks were white versus a person of color, right? And the quarterback is typically the most paid um, and, and uh, I, the research is a little older, so I haven't kept up with it. So I don't want to make promises that I'm wrong on. But I know where the work started was looking at these significant differences, uh, even down to the NFL. Um, so it's not hard to convince me that there's significant racial disparities. That's that one I'm already on board with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were there are some articles coming out about that. It does seem like at least there's some attention being paid to this. That um, there's this enormous dis- discrepancy also in terms of how uh, particular and there's an intersectionality here. It's it's the women of color particularly, not just women and not just people of color, but the women of color in the Olympic world are apparently covered by the press and sort of scrutinized and the words used around them are very different than the words used for everyone else. Um, which, you know, just goes to show that the Olympics are um, another part of society and have internalized racism. Uh, there's actually misogyny. a great, there's a great documentary looking in, and I can't remember her name at all, but there was this really prominent black figure skater I don't want to age myself, but let's go with like 20 years ago. Um, And she had essentially mastered this incredibly difficult skill that men were doing. And they decided that it wasn't going to be legal. And it eliminated her from like an Olympic spot because they decided this wouldn't be legal. Fast forward in time, that also happened with a black gymnast who had mastered this sort of new skill. And in gymnastics, everyone invents a skill and has it named after them, right? There's like four versions of the Lyukin. There's a Horkina, you know, there's a Shushanova. I mean, you know, you name it. Um, But this gymnast, in case it wasn't clear, Horkina. Was this Surya? Oh, yeah. Was this Surya Bonali? Yeah, that's her. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was her. And then the gymnast, that skill was banned. Um, so so it, it definitely echoes. That's remarkable that it was just banned or made illegal. You know, something yeah. that is unprecedented or maybe it's hard, difficult to understand, just ban it. <laughs> yeah, well, and the, yeah. the reasoning behind a band is it's too difficult to perform. And of course, the athletes were like, I, I, I've done it like 10 times in all these competitions. Like, and isn't that the point? This is competitive <laughs> <laughs> sports, right? But that's so, so like, fitting okay, that once... Right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but you know, that fits, I think, the narrative so well for how race relations in general are done 
where it's like, oh, you know, this is kind of unpleasant. It makes me feel like a bad person. I think we should just ban it. And not just race, but gender too, right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. And today on this episode, we're talking about uh, the unique stressors that women, female athletes experience and maybe some differences with male athletes and just the expectations and roles. And we were talking a little bit about how, uh, I, I looked it up, it was beach handball. I've ne- honestly, I've never watched that sport at all. But uh, they wanted, they did not want to wear the bikini bottoms and they got in trouble for doing that. They wanted to just wear shorts. Uh, seemed like it wouldn't be much of a thing, but uh, that just tells you the different expectations um, and, and maybe emphasis on uh, what, what women are wearing and things like that. I, I want to kind of go a little bit to the research at this point and see and uh, get everyone's comment for it. So I, I, I did see that it compared with male athletes, female athletes reported a significantly higher rate of stress from coaches. Is there something that you can say about that, Gino? I mean... I guess this is certainly one scenario where experientially I had the benefit of being a male, right? Like I, I didn't directly experience it. Um, however, you know, I, I think I've, I can't even say, I think I've certainly heard coaches uh, make far more commentary to females about how much weight they need to lose, or, you know, you need to lose this many pounds by time it's time for the competition, things like that. And I think it's, I mean, most coaches still are male, even if it, even if gymnastics was a, you know, female led in terms of its popularity, success, most of the coaches were still male. So I think there's not a a real registering about that because it's, it's societally ingrained. And kind of, as I said before, the idea of what a fit body looks like versus the societal view and the whole concept of like hitting puberty for a male, right? Like, you know, gymnasts, especially we start young, typically prepubescent and for males, they hit puberty. They just gain muscle mass, right? Females start to deposit body fat and that's part of normal biological development. But if you have a male coach who's never, you know, had to concern himself with that, it's a lot easier for them to be like, oh, lose that weight. <laughs> it's like an appropriate developmental they, step. <laughs> when they're coaching them to lose weight, does I, I don't know enough about gymnastics. Does it have to do with like in um, wrestling, how you have to compete amongst peers of the same weight range? Or what, what does that have to do with? No, no. So we don't have like weight classes, things like that. Um, it's more just the idea of, being lean and fit enough to sort of perform effectively. Right. And uh, look, I mean, it was one thing where the actions from the actual organizing body here were a little bit better because they, we all had the same sort of dietary plan regardless. So that was one thing that was at least nice, but when it came to like the personal coach level and the individual coach level, that's where you could see some of those differences start to play out. But um, it's, it's all about just optimizing performance at that point. And that's a lot of pressure. So you're saying that there was, they had the same dietary plan, but they had different expectations about losing weight or being oh, a certain yeah. weight. 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that just puts all the pressure on the athlete, on the female athlete. <laughs> right. For sure. And I mean, even down to when you think about, again, the requirement of what we're wearing is I also had shorts on, right? And so if I had put on a little bit of fat in my like quad area, lower body, I had some flowy shorts that kind of covered it versus the female who had that bikini bottom kind of cut, the coach can perseverate and be like, okay, I see it, right? Like there's no hiding it. And so it, it also, that created a very visual difference as well. My which ability to hide when I gain pounds. <laughs> which explains also maybe some of the thing behind the German team's decision, right? Um, some of the yeah. rationale well, behind choosing not to wear such revealing clothing. It takes some of the pressure yeah, off. And, uh, I mean, uh, certainly at the end of the day, money is the driving factor for all sports federations and things like that too. And, and I have very little doubt that objectification is on the table, right? And mm-hmm, that's definitely, pro- I mean, that's why I'm all about like, yeah, get to wear that unitard, be admired for your athletic ability and prowess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that I think it's impossible to talk about the objectification and uh, the the unitard without talking about um, how prevalent and it is sexual assault culture in these worlds and how um, dangerous is it to be a young elite female performer uh, on the world stage who's being seen not necessarily for their athletics, but for the money and objectification piece. And and, and the, the thing I'm thinking about with that is, I think her name is Allison Stoke, uh, or Stokey, who, who was like this super elite pole vaulter, but the whole world turned her into uh, a sex symbol without her consent. And then she got, and then she tried to shut that down. And then she got a lot of publicity for that. And she never wanted any of the publicity in the first, well, I don't know, maybe I'm putting words in her mouth, but it seemed from her interviews that she never wanted any of that publicity. Yeah. There's certainly experiences and and, uh, scenarios that you can see a little bit in the public eye where, you know, a female athlete talked about that objectification taking away from their enjoyment of the sport how much that they felt like they connected with it and there was actually a tennis star too where she was like i want people no one talks about my tennis performance they talk about my looks and that's not fair right and it's not fair but there's also that sort of blowback that if you speak out against that or, or say, I don't want to be, you know, we've seen it where it's ended careers and that's also not fair, right? Like you should be able to be like, Hey, pay attention to the sport and my performance and not have that be a negative. I want to uh, quiz everybody on uh, some findings that, about elite athletes. I want I want you to um, think about which mental health diagnosis you think was most prevalent among elite athletes, and among and which sports tended to have the most mental health diagnoses. Now there was a diff- okay, gender I'm difference. Say yeah. I, okay, I don't think this is diagnosed. I would imagine I'm not going to get it right, but I would say. It's OCPD, 
And the reason I'm going to say that I'm not going to get it right is because usually, so OCPD is obsessive compulsive personality disorder. And that's not obsessive compulsive disorder. And that's where the patient has this kind of like over controlling way of doing things and it's working for them. And so they don't ever get seen by medical professionals because it's working for them or so they think, although maybe they it comes at great loss in their life. Like maybe they can't find a romantic partner or maybe their family is alienated or whatever. Um, but I think there are certain careers, maybe this is one of them, that require someone to have OCPD to get by. Okay. Duly noted that guess. Anybody else want to venture a guess? Thank you, Alan, for going first, too. I'm guessing a trauma diagnosis for females. I'm not going to pinpoint okay. a sport, though. Okay. Eating Anybody disorders. else? Eating disorders. Eating right? disorders. Yeah, Tosha. that's a good one. All right. Thank you. Salone, do you want to venture a guess? <laughs> um, I'm going to go with trauma, too. Yeah, actually. This is a lot darker. These answers are a lot darker than I thought they were going to be. Um, uh, that, we were I don't know what this dark says about it. Totally, it's says more that. dark than reality. Um, I, the, the, I mean, yeah, it's a reality check. I think the, for me, it, I, I believe all of your answers more than mine. And, that, and it's, yeah. The, num the, the number one diagnosis was generalized anxiety disorder, which is a lot of worrying, sure. Sure. a lot of worrying, mm -hmm. a lot. Um, there was a difference between male and female, uh, and this is in general population too. It's about three to two difference for every three women, uh, male, uh, female, women athletes. Now, uh, and, and which how much sport of that is due to underreporting of trauma, right? How much of that? I mean, the the trauma yeah. with the Me Too movement, the trauma statistics are going to change so uh, dramatically. So kind of like stay tuned. Yeah, it's getting it's getting to more people are more at ease of speaking about these experiences. Right. There's a lot of uh, secrets. You're right. I agree with you. Alan. Uh, as far as sports, which which sport tended to have the most generalized anxiety? Which sport? What, what, what category of sports? I'll, I'll make it a, a little bit easier. What category of sports tended to and what category of sports? Individ yeah, individual. Right? It, it, it <laughs> would be the aesthetic sports like gymnastics and figure skating. And so the the what the least does this make sense? The the least people that had the least amount of mental health diagnosis were the thrill seeking sports. Yeah. Does that <laughs> make sense? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Of, uh, anything that has to do with sliding really fast. That sounds therapeutic. Well, it's, and it's it's fascinating that the it's it's fascinating that the most anxiety provoking thing that if you look at someone who may die during their run, right? Like particularly with some of the, uh, like the winter sports with like luge and, and snowboarding and stuff, you know, people and the, and right. And yeah, invert ramp skateboarding. That's so much less, people have so much less anxiety there than someone whose body is gonna be displayed perhaps not as they uh, intended for it to in front of the whole world. Yes, this is what the spec the authors spec speculated, Alan. Yes, that they're being judged constantly. Gymnastics and uh, the figure skating they be judged constantly every every little bit. Um, and then the thrill seekers, they are, are they're adrenaline seekers. They're used to this. They also there was an optimistic bias for those folks, perhaps. And then that they just knew how to manage the intensity better, and so they tended to have less fewer mental health diagnoses. Yeah, I also think about those performance sports though, like and all the theatrics that even go into something like walking to the event, right? Like if you watch synchronized swimming or the gymnasts and things like that, they are 
walking in a rehearsed sort of professional theatrics, right? And there's a, mm-hmm. a stance to it. And in a lot of the like slalom skiers, luge, they just kind of like are themselves and they walk up, right? And you see the male mm-hmm. swimmers who are like flapping their arms around. Y'all couldn't see it on the radio, but I did a demonstration of it and it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was 10 out of 10. <laughs> but but there's there's some freedom in in even that minutiae. And it it, te- it attests to how much scrutiny they're under. And those photos, right? Photos last forever too, if you're oh, taking yeah. a photo of them at any point. And, it, and there's so much pressure on the way they look. Yeah, yeah. which was another thing. Oops. Oh, sorry, I just wanna, add, you can say what you're gonna say, but I just wanna um, ask this question about the public self and private self and how you, maintain integrity self-integrity that this is my speculation that you know if you're constantly being judged and your your failures are being picked apart and analyzed and overanalyzed and you are you get in i I just speculate people athletes will get engaged in this kind of analysis then how do you maintain your the integrity of your inner self and not uh and separate with a public self and what you uh, show to others and and keep your answer brief because i asked you this question at the very end of the program i will keep it brief i think from a an athletic perspective the whole idea is to stay true to yourself right stay if you can focus on the parts that you connected with in the sport the parts that you like and the parts that make you happy that is the key to not losing yourself to the tide because no one became an olympic athlete hating the sport they do there is a deep love and passion and focusing on that and knowing you know like okay part of the federation i have to wear this polo shirt right some of that we can have that mindfulness to let go and you know don't get bogged down in like reading the newspapers reading the articles the press all that people are going to say everything under the sun and don't worry about that do what you're there to do do what you love keep that love and that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today, we talked about the unique pressures that female athletes face and the ways that they're treated differently. And we had our uh, join our discussion, Dr. Gino Mortalero. Th- thank you, Dr. Mortalero, for joining us. Of course. <laughs> and thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi, Saloni Singh, and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write to us at getpsychedonkucr.gmail.com. And you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. <laughs>